16, in which house rules are broken, an infestation and a visitation, vermin destroyed, the red dowd's fish, some useful attributes of a magic sword. Clearly the Redo Dowd misliked Klosterheim's expression of humour as much as I did, but the Irishman intended to maintain his principle. He glared severely at the gaunt man. I welcome good customers, but I'm dreadful weary of conflict, so I'll thank you all to remember your breeding in my house. Klosterheim snapped shut his mouth and glowered, sulking. Lebusser and I, watched by O'Dowd's men, went to occupy a booth nearer the door. The men's expressions were mild and neutral, more from a habit of composure, I would guess, than from natural disposition. They returned their attention with apparent casualness to their beef and eel pies. We took a light meal of bread, cheese and bones, with port and water for our drink. We ate sparingly, sensing tension. When the Red O'Dowd returned, he displayed disappointment on his great face, as if he were revising his expectations of increased business. He looked hard at his front door, and then came towards us. Are your weapons still in your room, gentlemen? When we nodded, he continued, I am reintroducing an old rule of mine, given the situation between you three. If you'll be so kind as to hand all weapons into the house, I promise their return when you leave. Though reluctant to relinquish the Paracelsian sword, I concurred. At that moment the door opened, and in came a man and woman, their heavy travelling cloaks giving the impression they had just stepped off the Dresden diligence, though we heard neither coach nor horses outside. They made a great display of dusting themselves while the woman called in a high voice for the landlord. O'Dowd, frowning, still strode forward. I'm he. Welcome to the friend indeed. I was trying for a glimpse of a face within one of those hoods, but without success. I chewed the meat from my last bone and placed it on the trencher with the others. Have you rooms, my man? asked the woman. Aye, my lady, he looked them up and down. Do you bear we weapons under them cloaks? The hood went back at this, and the shortest figure was revealed as von Bresenvort's, certainly no lady, bringing up a carbine and levelling it at the O'Dowd. The landlord's men were suddenly no longer at the benches, but arranged almost in military ranks behind the tables. Each had a pistol, and we were all targets. The O'Dowd grumbled to himself. I've grown too damned lazy. Are you all together? I think so, said I, given the circumstances. I stood up in the booth. Von Bresenvort's darted a, grim of, a grin of triumph. You'll run with the running side after all, eh, Von Beck, said he. Well, maybe our offer is no longer open to you. The pistol trembled in his hand. In anticipation of murderous fulfilment, I suspected, rather than fear. Von Beck, said the O'Dowd in surprise. Same as in the story. 
Well, it depends, sir, on what story you mean. I stepped boldly up as if I meant to search him. One of his men cried, Touch him and you'll have a ball through your head no matter who dies after. I lowered my hands with a shrug. I'm surprised that Yvonne Bex descended to mere tavern swaddling. With little gold here, man, the Red O'Dowd sighed. You have something far more valuable, eh, sir? Klosterheim rose and began to saunter towards us. Meanwhile, von Bresenvort's companion stripped back his hood. It was one of Monsorbier's men. And that's what we're here for, sir. The O'Dowd seemed genuinely puzzled. More valuable? And you'll leave if you have it? Just so, von Bresenvort's mentioned with his popper. Thus we'll all save the expenditure of powder and shot. Well, then you'd better tell me what it is, man. The Irishman's voice dropped and grew dangerous. The Grail, of course. Fosterheim grew impatient. The Holy Grail. It's here at the centre where the lines converge. The maps all agree. It's here in your tavern, sir, as you must know. Give it over and we'll end the matter. The Red O'Dowd had begun to grin, his eyes remaining weary. <laughs> You're all fooled if you think that. Ask him. A thumb in my direction. His family's supposed to protect it. In turn, the Grail protects them. If it's here, Von Beck brought it with him. What madness makes you think I possess a holy relic of that magnitude? Should I risk such damnation? God has abandoned you. You risk nothing. Von Bresenvort's weak face was suddenly afraid, his eyes shifting everywhere from Klosterheim to O'Dowd's men to me, to Labussa. She stood with one foot on her bench, still in the booth, sipping port. Her eyes narrowed. We'll fetch the chalice for ourselves. All you need do is tell us where it is. Will that relieve your anxiety? I have none, said the O'Dowd, heavily. He grew slowly angry. What manner of vermin are ye? He glanced at Klosterheim's skeletal figure at von Bresenvort's decrepit flesh, at the soldier's unhealthy features. Methodists, are you? Baptists? Or worse? What do you want with the grail? That need not be your business, landlord. Klosterheim took the dragoon pistol from the militiaman and pointed it up under the O'Dowd's beard. We'll take responsibility for it. When we leave, you'll be none the worse off. There'll have been no violence. You'd be wise, sir, to follow his instructions, sir, said I to our host. Klosterheim's killed just lately, and you know what rats become when the blood's in their saliva. They like to strike again. If von Beck were to be allies, von Bresenbortz gestured with his own heavy handpiece, I'll thank you to be less insulting. Well, Klosterheim did not care. He quivered. He had agreed for the grail beyond anyone's. I had knocked Klosterheim with my shoulder and was diving for von Bresenvort's barker in the moment, while Lucifer's ex-captain was still between the gun and the Irishman. Grabbing it from his soft hand, I brought the butt down heavily on von Bresenvort's neck and then his nose. He screamed and nursed his face. Klosterheim foolishly turned the dragoon pistol at me, rather than keeping it on our doubt, and the check was over. There was movement from one side of the great tap room to the other. 
the O'Dowd ran for the gallery. His men barred the doors and slammed shutters tight against windows. Labossa was now atop the table, smacking her pot hard on Klosterheim's skull, and the pistol went off in my hand with a deafening bang. The militiaman was flung back across the tables, a great hole blossoming in his chest. He screamed. As if to answer that scream, there was suddenly a monstrous heavy thump against the whole outside wall of the tavern. Another. Everything shook. And another, as if a cannonade were loosed against us, or gunpowder exploded by the kegful. Thump! A pistol in one huge red hand, and an old-fashioned spontoon in the other. O'Dowd went to peer through the window. Labussa had Klosterheim's sword. His pistol was on the floor. May we assume, sir, said the O'Dowd, in some exasperation to me, that both you gentlemen are with us and that the other three represent your enemies outside? You may, sir, the dying militiaman screamed on. Save me, master, save me. It was unclear whom he called for. Von Bresenvortz, white with anger, resembled an ancient, petulant schoolboy. Klosterheim, half-dazed, sat down suddenly upon the table, Labussa still above him. Clutching his head, he brought his eyes up to look at her. Weapons appeared from trunks, hidden panels, under floors. The whole place, it was now clear, was a bristling arsenal. The hard-faced picaroons took familiar positions here and there about the tavern. O'Dowd himself continued to peer out, a pistol in his right hand, the spontoon under his arm. How many do you think? Hard to say, I told him. Maybe fifty? More? They'll have been gathering recruits for some while, I'll be bound. It's in the nature of such creatures. What creatures, sir? Oh, you describe them yourself, sir. Vermin, sir. Devil worshippers of the lowest kind. Cruel murderers, every one. Blood ritual and tortures, their sport. I take your meaning, sir. The red O'Dowd wiped a finger almost delicately across his lips as if to clean them. That sort's always come to Amalorm. Yet they never learn. Tis though you'd not think it the last place they should be. He called instructions to his men. The tavern became a fortress within moments. He himself was freshly animated. I suspected his vocation was more soldier than innkeeper though he might have wished it otherwise. He was pretty cheerful as he positioned his men here and there, sending some to the upper floors. Most lights were dimmed, while Labussa presented a newly borrowed pistol at Klosterheim and von Bresenvortz. I joined the O'Dowd at the window. There were figures scuttling everywhere across the square. The shops were shuttered. I have more men there, said the O'Dowd. We'll catch him in a crossfire as soon as we want to. Our enemies did indeed have the appearance of vermin, perhaps because of their numbers. There seemed a couple of hundred at least. The pack moved forward in concert suddenly, and I had an impression of ruined faces, bestial hands, twisted bodies, ragged clothes, men and women both. But Monsorbier was not with them. Another thump as the pack collided with the inn. The red O'Dowd shivered. A disgusting assembly, sir. The worst I've seen. They've recruited every degenerate in the deeper city. His face showed his contemptuous hatred as their squealing began. We could even smell them. A scent like 
long neglected wounds. I glanced back. Labusa wrinkled her nose, not so used to that battlefield stink as I. She put a hand to her face, looking as if she might vomit. The gesture made von Bresenvort's confident. He was fool enough to ignore the fact he was trapped with us, and he lunged for her pistol, which went off. Von Bresenvort's was struck in the stomach and doubled up, croaking like a frog. Blood and bile streamed from his lips. Lobosa looked down in almost uncomprehending dismay. Klosterheim shifted his foot so that the stuff should not strike his boot, but otherwise made no move. He was aware his position was dangerous. Von Bresenvort's tried to speak through the filth in his mouth. His eyes rolled up into his head. His features writhed. See if he carried powder and shot on him, said I to her, and then reload your pistol. This rallied her as I'd seen no woman rally before. I was not surprised, for I trusted her courage. She conquered her horror, and even as von Bresenwortz fell to the boards, she had ripped back his cloak to find the horn at his belt. She pulled that and the pouch free, setting foot against his still-living body so that she could tug the harder. For the love of God, he croaked, spare me a moment, madam, to die in. One last eruption, and he was quiescent. Not dead, for that would take a while longer, but in a death faint, preserving him from the worst of his agonies. Expertly, Lubusa began to reload the Dragoon pistol. Another great thump. Discharge! Merrily shouted the Red O'Dowd, and off went the muskets from every aperture, and back fell the mob, hold and bloody still squeaking. I had seen nothing like it before, even amongst the crazed Indians of the Americas who chewed some kind of root prior to battle, thus becoming unaware of pain or fear, uncomprehending even of their own deaths. Another volley. More fell to the cobbled street around the horse trough. Then from the opposite side came a further rattling of musketry. Down went some more. They turned as a mass and began to run at the source of this fresh annoyance. And there came a second wave of leaden balls to smash them to the ground. At that rate, thought I, there would be no real work left to do. Monsorbier was a fool to think he could succeed in such an attack. Those people were almost all unarmed, save for a few butcher's knives, flinches and clubs. Discharge! cried the grinning O'Dowd. They shall not deceive an old soldier so easy, sir, he said to me. He chuckled. I've been at this for twenty years and learned every weakness of my own defences and covered them. They'll be on the roof, no doubt, and this simply a diversion. Well, I've plenty to greet them when they've made the climb. Off went the muskets again and down went the vermin, and soon I heard terrible cries from above. In ones and twos and then in threes and fours, flaming figures dropped into the street. The Red O'Dowd regarded them with an expression of deep satisfaction, much as a craftsman might look upon a finished artefact. And then there came a sound from underfoot. Still the Red O'Dowd was unperturbed. Klosterheim glanced down, his expression mysteriously knowing. Had they mined their way in? Were there tunnels? Sewers, sir, said the O'Dowd, a warren of them. There was a junction of some kind down there, because of our spring and the rats, I'd guess. 
So they all think they can strike from there. And I'm surprised they got so far. There must be scores of them. You had men waiting? <laughs> Not men, sir. Oh, no. He winked at me, turning his head to look once more out of the window. He pursed his lips, stroking his red beard, half smiling as corpses piled one upon the other in blazing bodies, arms still waving, plummeting on top of those. It was grisly. It was essentially a massacre, but it was of their own doing. The O'Dowd sighed. This reminds me of Culloden, sir. Were you ever there? Well, you mistake me for an older man, sir. That was in 45. Well, I cannot believe you witnessed the battle either. I heard it from my father. My brother joined what he saw as the Catholic cause, the Stuart cause. He was with Bonnie Prince Charlie when all those poor boys were mown down. He did not run at the guns as they did. There was no point in it, he said. Charlie was drunk, insensible, my father said. Half the time he looked the wrong way. He had to be propped back on his horse, wig all askew. Fingers seeking the brandy kept in a great flask on his pommel. Well, sir, my uncle went back to Kinsale. Kinsale. He said he would rather starve in the famine than be harvested like corn. The old the O'Dowd chattered easily, as if relaxed with a pot of ale at his own board. And then he was alert suddenly, cocking his ear. He grew uneasy. They should not be up this far. He called across the room. Grigoriev, take three of the lads to check all's well in the cellars. Musket in hand, the Ukrainian ran to obey. Labossa, casually directing her pistol at Klosterheim, since our former ally now sat at the bench, sipping an abandoned glass of wine, crossed to where I was still positioned at the window. What's afoot down there? she asked. Attack from the sewers, sir, said the O'Dowd, who still believed her a youth. I was telling her von Beck, they always think I haven't defended that point, but tis the best defended of all. The violence of the frontal attack was subsiding under the steady musketry. Fewer bodies slumped, blazing onto those below. The storm was apparently subsiding. Then Grigoriev came bursting up, face wild with astonishment. They've breached the ale store, the wall's giving way. Impossible, cried the Red O'Dowd. Ah, I'm an idiot for being so complacent. This is what brings good men down, and empires both. He ran for the stairs to the cellars, and I ran with him. But he was ahead of me by a good few yards, and had turned in the torchlight, coming back, face grim and pale, to a bellow for reinforcements. Send half the lads to me here. Is it bad? asked I. Bad as can be, sir. They've killed or drugged my fish. Well, I had no time to ask him to explain that fish. Either it was a nickname or an unfamiliar piece of cant. There were yells from further into the cellars. A ragged musketade. More shouts. Metal against metal. Down the stairs, precise as Hessians, came more of the O'Dowd's men. He directed them forward. I was an obstruction, so I started backing up again. I'll fetch my weapon. Lubusa was there as I came up. I'll bring you a sword, I said. I have two. Up I went to the gallery where pickaroons were calling out for more shot and powder. The serving maids brought this as readily as they hauled ale. 
I entered our room and from the closet drew Lucifer's gift to me. The pommel was duller and the eagle could not be seen. It appeared to have seasons, that pommel, but yet it pulsed faintly. I picked up my sabre for Labusa, back down the stairs where Klosterheim glanced at me. He ate nothing as a rule, yet now he was folding his mouth upon a pork bone, as if he could only take nourishment when enough were dying around him. I had the impulse to run him through at that moment. He sensed my hatred. For a second time he laughed. The sound was drowned by a scream. A window at the front was bulging. The scream came from several throats. Half a dozen creatures had hurled themselves forward at once and were through the glass, almost into the tavern. The O'Dowd soldiers sent concentrated fire into those unsavoury bodies. The mass fell back. Shutters were slammed and secured, and into the fresh silence Klosterheim continued to laugh. I ran on, back down the cellar stairs, down into the stink of gunpowder and sewage, of rush torches, fermenting hops and sour wine. In the darkness ahead I saw a flicker of lights, a flash of guns. Labusa made herself visible and I handed her the sabre. Hard to say if Monsorbier's goal is the Grail or us. Both, she said. I'm certain. Everything must combine. And he must get hold of the tincture, too. Though, it's possible he has his own concoction. Or the girl has it? But the tincture's useless without the cup to put it in. The sword, she glanced down at my blade, will give additional power. Tis perfection if the ritual's performed accurately. That is why I grow so impatient. Von Beck, I've half a mind to let Monsorbier through, simply in the hope he'll lead us to the Grail. Or must we torture Klosterheim? Well, I doubt it's possible to torture Klosterheim, I said. What's more, I doubt he knows more than we do. The Red O'Dowd came back, cursing. Where's my damned fish? The musketeers had fallen back by a yard or two. They still fired, but the fire was now returned. Here were all Monsorbier's men. He had put his best troops into that branch of the attack, and with good reason, it seemed. The O'Dowd's men were going down, one or two at a time. Soon there would not be enough to defend the whole tavern against a major breach. We were grouped in a beer cellar now, with great casks stacked on all sides of us, some against the walls, some on freestanding racks. I felt colder, ill-smelling air, and could... Just see ahead to the far wall where it had been burst in as if by a gigantic fist. Through the gap leapt armed men covered by fire from beyond. O'Dowd was muttering to himself, Maybe our only real chance is to blow up the whole damned cellar. What a terrible waste of ale. I never thought it would come to this. Who leads him, Von Beck? One of France's best captains, I told him. A seasoned veteran of both battle and revolution. Monsorbier. Eh, he's a good soldier. The Irishman lifted his loaded horse pistol to scratch his red nose, especially since he's found a way to overwhelm my fish. The fish? Is it some kind of war machine? I asked. The O'Dowd laughed as if I told a deliberate joke. <laughs> of course it is, sir. <laughs> of course it is. And tears started on his eyes and rolled down his red cheeks like marbles on plush. <laughs> you have a keen wit, sir. Well, I could only wish the jest were intentional. 
I was still none the wiser for the matter of his fish. More muskets barked. More accurate retaliation came. They had stalemate, it seemed. And then a voice called out from within, and I saw a great white kerchief waving on a sword. Parley, cried Monsorbier. Parley, sir. What the devil have you done with my fish, sir? called back the red O'Dowd. He'll furnish the victory feast now, sir. Monsorbier was elated. That storming and breaching was as much to his taste as it was to the O'Dowd's. I saw him now in the torchlight, his black coat buttoned across his chest, his bicorn side on, a tricolour cockade, freshly sported, a revolutionary sash about his waist. He seemed to have restored himself as Klosterheim had not. He lifted a sabre to his smiling face in salute, and the white flag was waved again. Parlay with us, sir, I beg. All we ask is your cup. Cup? exclaimed O'Dowd in some annoyance. That damned cup again. Von Beck, will you tell him I have no damned cup? The red O'Dowd has no damned cup, cried I. Yeah, apart from the pots and tankards in my tap room, added the Irishman, shouting louder than myself. Monsorbier was remorseless. Give it up, sir, and we'll retire. Let Von Beck and his companions bring it to us. They'll be hostages for the rest of you. Well, he wants you now, Von Beck. The Red O'Dowd winked. They must feel they have a strong position. Don't they think I'd know if I had charge of the Holy Grail? Eh, Von Beck? Your family guards it, not mine. And searches for it when it's lost, I'm told. Ironic it should fall to me, an atheist and a sinner, to fulfil that search. I was contemptuous of them all. Well, sir, God chooses us for strange tasks, and hides his greatest treasures in queer places, so the priests used to tell me. Make haste, gentlemen, called Monsorbier. Do you give us the grail, or must we fight on? What have you done to my fish, sir? cried the red O'Dowd. Where is she? Ready for cooking, sir. Still under the white flag, Monsorbier began retreating. I wanted to take another pot shot at him, and was about to borrow a gun, when suddenly, from the corner of the cellar, there sparked a candle brighter than the rest. The flame grew suddenly stronger, dazzling us. Labussa cursed and put both hands to her eyes. The red O'Dowd was jubilant, on his feet and grinning. A shot went off and a bullet almost caught him. I pulled him down. What is it, O'Dowd? Oh, I sir, tis our old helmet, he said, though I'm not sure it can achieve much against a seasoned warrior like Mr. Monsorbier. The light shaded from gold to silver, spreading until it was entirely filling the cellar. The red O'Dowd beamed, as if at a friend. Who does it belong to? I asked in astonishment. It is the property of us all, I suppose. Sir, I don't rightly know. It is just our old helmet. Does it not make you feel peaceful, sir, and full of joy? I could now just detect the source of the light from a high shelf above the barrels. It was apparently, as O'Dowd had said, no more than a simple helmet, of the sort the French called Chapelle de Fer. This one, of steel studded with brass, an ordinary enough war hat, like an upturned porringer. Now Labossa started forward, her eyes shining. Well, surely you recognise it, Von Beck. Surely you know the true nature of your helmet, O doubt. And all at once the Irishman began to laugh at himself. Aye, <laughs> sir, of course. Is it the Holy Grail? Aye, she said sardonically. 
It is what it is. Well, there's the reason, continued the O'Dowd, why it is so elusive. But what's it doing in a common tavern? He put his hand on her shoulder as she reached towards it. Don't try to handle it, her faults. Tis inclined to bite anyone who tries. Frustrated, she turned to me. You could take it, Von Beck. Yeah, but I don't choose to, I told her. I might well be the only one of us who can handle the grail. I believe it now, I suppose. But I'm also the only one who has no interest in it. Why not let it remain where it is, undisturbed, to the end of time? She fumed and was grim. If you love me, Von Beck, you will take that cup down now. Well, I was about to go forward at her bidding when, with a great roar, Monsorbier's men pushed another yard or two into the cellars and were forced back. Monsorbier knew the significance of that light. I could not see him, but I could hear him cheering his men on. There was more musket fire and then silence. Both defenders and attackers were so blinded they could no longer see to fight. The entire warren of cellars was one shimmering mass of intense pale gold and silver. The silence was such it almost formed a sound of its own, perhaps a sound from within ourselves. There were no human voices. Nobody moved. And then suddenly the light was gone. The Red O'Dowd, quick to take his advantage, for he alone knew the properties of his helmet, cried, Forward! And all our own people charged as they fired. I saw Monsorbier's white face. I saw him fall back from the pile of rubble he had been standing on. His militiamen were running. I could hear their boots striking the water of the sewers, heard them splashing and wading in Monsorbier's angry shout, It cannot harm you, tis what we came for. Uttering some kind of hideous war shout from the back of his throat, the O'Dowd led off his pistol in the general direction of Monsorbier, and then I heard someone screaming in the distant tunnels. It was a ghastly sound. At last, said the O'Dowd in tones of deep satisfaction. My fish. We were in the sewers ourselves now, chasing them back. Le Busser and myself remained close to the O'Dowd, who had, who had the lamp. We heard echoes. Monsorbier was close to weeping as he begged his men to resume the attack. A couple of twists and turns and we were in a high-vaulted sewer with about four inches of water coursing around our legs. The screaming continued, though it was not from the same gallery. It was persistent and horrible. The Red O'Dowd waved on his men. Follow him to the surface and find out how they entered. I must deal with my fish. The three of us took a tunnel to the left. The gallery grew wider and taller. Ten men could have stood shoulder to shoulder across it. And ahead was one of Monsorbier's men. Caught in our lamp's light, flopping and screaming still. Then he was up out of the water as if wrenched into the dark air by a great hand and flung forcefully against the wall. His body crashed into the filthy water. He still lived, still sobbed, but almost every bone was broken. Something made a sucking noise. Eyes waved on stalks overhead, peering at us with no more, it seemed, than mild curiosity. The Red O'Dowd grinned in relief. You unharmed, my darling. What did they do to ye? Oh, mother of God, said Lebusa. Tis a gigantic crayfish. That was nothing else. Up came the sword of Paracelsus in my hand. Instinct urged me to hack at the thing, but it seemed docile when it heard the Red O'Dowd's voice. Slowly, with 
almost delicate movements of its claws, it began to eat its victim until at length the man's cries ceased. They must have drugged her, said O'Dowd, or lured her off. She looks fine now. What do you think, sir? I have never seen a healthier fish, sir, said I. Your Mr. Monsorbier's a cunning strategist, the O'Dowd was admiring. He's the first to get past her. He'll not forget this campaign, Labusa was amused. The crayfish clapped her claws against the sides of the tunnel, and the red O'Dowd made a sound with his tongue which seemed to imitate her. In this way they conversed for a minute or two. The O'Dowd sighed sleep deeply. She's not harmed. They doubtly sent one of their number in ahead. They'd have packed him so full of opium it made a fish drowsy. A good scheme, eh? He's a clever man. Poison your advance guard and in turn poison the fish. Ha! The Irish giant rubbed at his beard. Well, now, there's not much to be doing here. The cellar wall shall have to be built up and strengthened, but otherwise we shall simply wait and see. I can't stop your Monsorbier from poisoning my fish, but I can be better prepared for him in future. Did you never realise it could only be the Grail giving off such a light? asked Labusa. Sir, there were piles of old armour and weapons at least a hundred years out of date when we arrived. The Red O'Dowd continued to be puzzled. Yeah, I suppose I should feel honoured. There came a keening shout, and several of Monsorbier's party, cut off from the rest, were rushed at us from a side tunnel, blades ready to strike. To defend myself, I raised the sword of Paracelsus, hearing the battering of the eagle's wings within the globe. I parried and thrust two-handed, so fast it seemed to me the sword itself did the lion's share of the work, and when it was done there was more fresh meat for the crayfish. As I sheathed the sword, the red O'Dowd looked at me in some wonderment, and the bussa too wore a strange expression. There were five of them, she said. I learned my fighting techniques among the Tatars, I boasted. You quartered them all in the space of ten or fifteen seconds, said the red O'Dowd. I've fought Tatars, sir. Even they take longer than that with all their skill. You're a master swordsman, sir. I assure you I'm no such thing. I scarcely remembered the encounter. The evidence of it, however, was grisly. Well then, tis a master sword, said she very softly. I was in no doubt on that score. We waded slowly back along the sewers until we climbed back through the breached wall. The Red O'Dowd's men already worked to shore it up. The fish was a little drowsy, he told them, but she's fine now. Labusa looked at the shelf where he, we had seen the helmet. In the darkness, it was impossible to tell if it was still there. The red O'Dowd chuckled. Uh, I told you that helm's elusive. You never know where she'll reveal herself or when. He lived so casually with his marvels. I was forced to wonder if it was my idea of reality that was lacking. Until now, I thought it had been far too moderate.